I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way um, and made a lot of mistakes along the way. And it's, it's learning from those mistakes and not quitting or not stopping and moving forward that separate um, successful entrepreneurs from, from the dreamers that keep doing the same thing over and over again and not getting different results. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you're a first time listener, we are so glad to have you. So glad you found the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for your support. I'm nearing the 100th episode mark with this episode being 94. And I can't believe that I've interviewed 94 local business owners, entrepreneurs, and influencers and heard their origin stories. Everyone is so unique and they're also inspiring. So thank you again for joining me on this journey and learning about our local businesses. Today, my guest is a gentleman who's been keeping businesses and banks and everything in between across the Western United States secure. Welcome Travis Fife of Alliant Security to the show. Well, thank you. Happy to have you, Travis. Thank you for making time for us. For me, I always say us, but there's no plural. <laughs> like, it's just me. Well, it, well, it's kind of us when you're uh, podcasting because everybody's uh, listening to you. So it's part of the big We're show. We're all in this together. I like that. Thank you. Travis, please share with the listeners what Alliant Security is and the types of customers that you serve. Did I get that right? Yeah, Alliance Security is, is really uh, designed around uh, financial institutions, cre credit unions and banks, providing uh, not only the electronic security, but the physical security as well. So we supply you know, alarms, cameras, access control, but we also supply vaults, safes. Uh, we install ATMs, install drive-ups. Um, pretty much anything in a bank, we we take care of. Um, but we also service and install uh, commercial uh, as well, and, and we do have some residential customers. Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, one of the things that I noticed on your website, which I don't know what it is, and I need you to tell me, what is a bandit barrier? A bandit barrier is a piece of lexan or bullet-resistant glass that uh, stops people from crossing a teller line or uh, in a man trap situation where we need to prevent or or restrict access but still need to be able to see the the people i got it so it's like a super fancy plexiglass that we're all exactly. used to exactly it's like <laughs> like we're all getting really used to right now but. we're used to the covid bandit barriers <laughs> i got it all right so um how on earth did you come to do security? Because I understand you're a veteran. Mm -hmm. What what service did you, what arm of the service did you serve in? I was an electronic warfare technician in the Navy for six years. Okay. Um, and when I got out of the Navy, I just really needed a paycheck, you know, keep family fed, you know, roof over the head, all that kind of minor stuff. Um, yeah, they're kind of minor. <laughs> <laughs> little details in life that yes. you, you, you run across. But uh, it was really, I, I, I went to work for Mosler Safe Company uh, as a local service technician in Eastern Idaho. And were they here in Idaho Falls? Yeah, they were a national company. Okay. And uh, I was just uh, a 
what they call remote technician. So I covered all of Eastern Idaho, Western Wyoming, a uh, little bit into Montana, a little bit into Utah. Um, and, and that's where I really learned the uh, security trade. I had the electronics background from, from the Navy, so the, the alarm side and the electronics side was pretty easy. Um, growing up farming and ranching, the mechanical side was fairly straightforward to me as well. You know, I could take apart a lock and figure it out. All this made sense. So it was just, it, it all just made sense to me and it was, it was easy for, for me to take care of the customers. Um, Shortly after working for Moser for a few years, they transferred me over to Boise to be the installation service supervisor. And then uh, after I left Moser, I went to work for a general contractor up in Spokane. Um, totally but, different work. I, yes and no, that contractor worked primarily for banks as oh, well. Oh, got it. So, um, it, it was pretty easy for me to make that transition you know, and, and move into the construction side and worked for him for about five years and then uh, decided that I, I wanted to get back into just the security side, um, project managing and superintending con large construction jobs. You so, liked that? Well, I, I liked it, but it was, it was somewhat stressful for me. You know, it was, there's a, a lot going on all the time in the construction side. and. I just wanted, had the itch to do something for myself. You know, I wanted that that elusive freedom that uh, all entrepreneurs want. <laughs> yes. And find out that it's not really freedom. It's uh, you're a slave to the customer now instead of a to somebody else. And you trade that eight-hour job for a twenty-four-hour job. Yes. It, I mean, absolutely. somehow this makes sense. Yeah. Somehow it's it's a lot better to uh, work 60, 70 hours a week instead of forty. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Crazy us. <laughs> But uh, I started, uh, I, I called it uh, 50 Incorporated at that point in time, but it, it merged into Alliance Security later on. Okay. Uh, but it, it was just me and a truck and a trailer, and uh, I was just subcontracting and, and doing as much as I could, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and uh, occasionally sleeping in the truck. It's just what, it's what you had we to do. do. How did you know at the time? Like, it seems to me that's kind of a really niche service mm -hmm. because if it's just financial institutions, it's not like every day there's a bank going up somewhere. So, how did you know there was a market for this? Uh, it's, I'm not going to say I, I was intentional about that market. It's just what I knew. Um, and crossed your fingers and yeah, said, "I it, hope this will work." <laughs> it's, it's just. Is how it worked out for me. I, I'm, I'd love love to say I was intentional in my thought process and and it, it drove my decisions, but my decisions were were driven by, where can I make a dollar? Yeah, and, yeah. And and who can I take care of in the process? Yeah. And you know, I started working for um, certain banks directly, uh, like uh, Zion's Bank. Uh, I worked for a gentleman by the name of Paul Port there in the facilities and. That all started with, I can't get anybody to modify this cabinet. We got to modify this cabinet so that your equipment will fit. Can you do it? And yeah, I'll yeah, do it. Yeah, I can do them both. Yeah, the <laughs> and, equipment and, and that. And that steamrolled into uh, a relationship with Zions Bank for going on 20 years now. Isn't that and great? It's, it's phenomenal to work with people year after year. I've had a relationship with, um, 
a lot of my customers for a long time. Uh, Idaho Central, we've had a long time relationship with. I think I started working with them back in 2004. And uh, it's just, and it's, it's snowballed over the years. Yeah, well, obviously they can trust you to do exactly what they're needing to have done. When did you start the business? Uh, I started the business in 2000, uh, late 2003, early 2004. Okay. Got it. Um, got it growing right before the recession hit and then got <laughs> uh, knocked back on my heels for a while. <laughs> and then, but you made it, you made yep. it through, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, I, I don't know the banking industry and the financial industry enough to really understand other than I know there are big safes and clearly things have to be secure. What are some of the biggest concerns you solve for your customers? Or maybe what's the biggest challenge you've seen or both? Well, there's, it's, it's really a matter of being able to provide them layers of security in their organization. So you've got physical security that provides a certain level of security and then you have electronic security that provides another layer but um, what what I've always told people when you're buying security is that you're buying time you know, you're not really buying anything more than time it's it's how fast are you going to get somebody to respond and and how long are you going to postpone the uh, break-in uh, and by putting in different security layers you're you're maximizing that time that you're purchasing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So do you partner with somebody who actually, if it's a intrusion, a property um, intrusion, and the alarms go off, do you partner with somebody who's answering those phones? Or are you guys actually doing that here? Uh, we have a, we actually hire that part out. Yeah. And, and most of that's due to the liabilities. Um, you really have to have a lot of customers to justify doing your own. Yeah, right. And then you still keep that as a you'd still keep that as a separate business. It's it's not something that you want to uh, blend in be just because of the liabilities in there. There's huge liabilities on on both sides, and you just got to make sure you're mitigating your risk. Yeah, got it. So that's the way most security companies, at least um, property security companies, work. That they they have a relationship with somebody who's actually answering the Correct. phones. Yeah. And, and our our vendor has a uh, call center in in Utah and a call center in Rexburg. Oh, great. So it, we try to keep as much as local as we can as well. Yeah, that's good to know. Talk to me a little bit about how the business has changed over the years. I imagine in 2004 versus now, there are definitely different security issues. Uh, I don't know that there's really different security issues, but there's definitely a change in the market. Um, you know, 2005, six, seven, we were, we were building a bunch of buildings. Uh, a lot of new buildings were going up and, and it was, it was a struggle to keep up with the new construction workload. Um, since 2009, 2010, it, it's been, a lot more remodels and very strategic growth for our customers. Got it. And there's, it, it's just the market's changed and, and we have to change with it. And um, that's our focus is primarily on service and providing customer service and, and identifying um, when people need to be looking at doing upgrades and being as proactive with our customers as possible so that not only can they budget for upcoming upgrades and, and changes in technology, but 
they're aware of the technology and, and what's changing. Uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of customers don't even know what's available in the market, let alone uh, know that they need to be planning for an upgrade. Yeah, well, I would imagine like thieves are getting smarter all the time, right? I mean, so how do you stay ahead of what's going on out there with people who have nefarious kind of motives? Yeah, and, and part of that is understanding um, what you're protecting. So, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, your, your primary focus was on the cash in the building. Um, since then, the amount of cash that banks keep on hand is, has been declining because everything's been going digital and the need for cash has, has dropped off. So um, managing the security around their networks has been a real key uh, in our positioning with security and electronic security and making sure that their servers are protected and their uh, data rooms are, are protected and that uh, points of access are protected. So it's really changed a sort of more to cybersecurity for you. I, I don't know that it's really changed to cybersecurity, but protecting the access points. Oh, got um, it. The, the PCs and the, yeah. and the data jacks that can allow for somebody to try and do a physical intrusion on their networks is, is really important to us. I, like our camera systems, they actually run on a separate security network so that even if you jacked into one of the cameras, you're, you're not, not going to disable getting, them. You're not getting to the primary financial uh, network because they're running on separate networks. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's um, fascinating. There's, there's a lot of uh, video systems out there, but they have to run on the same network that they're talking to. Uh, most of our financial products have two NIC cards so that it's actually running two separate networks. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got to get a little complex and how mm -hmm. you're doing that. You know, when you were talking about that, it, it just brought up something to me. Do you see the future where only electronic currency is you know, it, a part of banking? Like there isn't cash in a bank anymore? I would hope that never is the case because I'm, I'm kind of old school and we you like we your cash. I, I like I like <laughs> I like my cash, but um, yeah, I think there's going to be a a push in in the electronic side of it a lot more than the, the physical cash side. The, the younger generation doesn't understand the the bills in the hand as as much as our generation does. Yeah, um, and I don't know that it'll ever go away, but. I think there'll be a lot more digital transactions than cash transactions. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. My son got a statement from the bank. He keeps getting statements from the bank and he's like, mom, why am I getting these? I can get, you know, I don't have to have these statements. And I'm thinking, you know, when I was in his position, young married, you know, I was learning how to balance my checkbook and they don't have any kind of concept about this. Don't even know what a checkbook exactly. is. Exactly. They don't know what a checkbook <laughs> is. So it is a whole different world that these guys are um, living in. And so it's just fascinating to me. How long will we have banks? You know, will everything just be a phone call? I don't know. I hope. I like our banks. I'm with you. I like I, to. I like to go into the lobby. I don't yeah. use ATMs. I yeah. Like to, I like to go in and and I I enjoy the relationships. Absolutely. Uh, being able to go in and have somebody call you by your first name uh, that that's a big deal to me. Yeah, and what I love too is that they're interested. I know they want my money, but they're also interested in our business being successful. Mm -hmm. So it's great. All right. Well, obviously in the security world, there are people who 
you know, many different companies that provide security. What sets Alliant apart? What was it when you began this business that you thought this is what's going to make us different? Our culture. And what does that mean? Um, I, I think it's important that the, the people are the focus, uh, not the product, not the business. Uh, it's it's our people, and our I think our people are uh, a step above everyone else, and and we keep striving to be better all the time. Uh, the bar is high, but it's not high enough for uh, the people that work here. And I think as long as as we're focused on the people, and it's not not just our employees. Uh, we I have what I call a circle of life. Uh, the business's job is to take care of the technicians. The technician's job is to take care of the customers. Yeah. And the customer's job is to take care of the business. Yeah. And that's that's the circle of life that I like to call it. Um, and it's, it's important for us to really focus on relationships all the way around. Well, and that seems clear because you've got some relationships, like you said, that have been, you know, going on maybe decades. Mm-hmm. And, and you clearly are meeting their needs that they keep coming back. Well, and the, the nice part about having transparent relationships is when something's askew, they're not afraid to say something. Ah, good. And then that is a huge deal. Uh, just, just the fact that they can say, I don't think that technician is quite what the caliber of what you normally hire. Yeah. And being able to either coach that person to be a better technician or find that they're the, the wrong person for our organization in part ways um, earlier than later, it's critical. So do you have any advice or secret sauce in how you hire the right people? Ah, uh, secret It's always sauce. the thing, yeah. Um, core values. Uh, we have five core values that our company lives off of. Uh, we hire, we fire, and we promote from those core values. If somebody is not living up to the core values, anybody in the organization can call them out on it. And that, that to me is the secret sauce. What, will you, would you share your core values? I would love to share my core values. <laughs> I think it's helpful because then we get to you know, learn from you about what has worked for your organization. And you know, so many of us started businesses just to start businesses. And we don't think about, gosh, we have to have, we really should have a mission and a vision and, and values. Yeah, and I'm gonna be honest, I was never very good at the mission and vision statements. Yeah. Um, that Because you were that like, why do I need this crap? I'm just yeah. gonna take care of my customers. So our first core value is healthy relationships. And then we use uh, descriptors after that to define what that means to us and it's, uh, good listener, respectful, professional, compassionate, and trustworthy. Uh, and that's part of the core of our, our being. Mm-hmm. Um, ownership is one of our core values. Can-do attitude, work ethic, growth-oriented. And each one of those have descriptors. And right. and we, we actually have a, a matrix that we grade each other on. So it's not just like these are sitting in a binder or on the you know vinyl on the wall. Quarterly. You live by these. Quarterly, we we our reviews are start with our core values. Yeah, that's great. Um, we actually we do a matrix on those core values and grade each other on it. As a leadership team, we do it once a quarter. 
and and we're not afraid to call each other out. Yeah, I think that creates exactly what you're talking about is that culture of accountability where, you know, I, I'm really big on accountability and in my eyes, we only have a team if we're willing to hold one another accountable. So to have the structure to have that happen is great. But you talked about in the beginning, that wasn't where your head was. Oh no. So this was part <laughs> of your maturing as a business owner? Uh, it is part of my maturing as an entrepreneur, as a person. Um, the, like they say, you can't get everybody else there until you get there yourself. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to lead people to that next level until you're there to uh, point the direction. Why did you find this was going to be important? I mean, if it worked for you in the beginning, why isn't it working for you now? Um, it worked for me in the beginning because it was just me and a, a couple of guys and a couple of trucks and we were just knocking it out. And uh, My wife was kind enough to work for free and uh, manage the books and um, as, as we grew past our knowledge um, we ran into setbacks, and I'm going to be blunt and honest. You know, I've I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way, um, and made a lot of mistakes along the way. And it's it's learning from those mistakes and not quitting or not stopping, and moving forward that separate um, successful entrepreneurs from from the dreamers that keep doing the same thing over and over again. And not getting different results. Well, what was it in you that made you power through that stuff? Did it, do you think it had, was that military training that you had or is it just your personality? Like you're not gonna give up? You know, I, I, I don't know that I could put a finger on that. I, I think it's a, a combination of things. You know, you, you, you grow up farming and you just, you, you know, you're working from sun up to sundown and there's, you, you, you can't have excuses. Uh, the animals still need fed, the crops still need tended. I mean, it's just, you don't have the choice. And, and that's where your head is. That's that, your mindset. That's, that's my mindset mm -hmm. is I don't have a choice. We have to be successful. We're going to make it work. And it's called gonna... grit, I think. <laughs> and and we, we've, we've done better this so far this year than uh, I anticipated. Oh. And I, I expect uh, next year to be even, even better. Even better. Um, we, we don't accept uh, leveling out. Yeah. Uh, it's not. No status quo. No status quo. What are we doing to do better? Um, we have a, a meeting that we call our war meeting and it's once a week between our revenue operations and our uh, operations side of the business. And, and we, the first question is what went well, what didn't go well, what job went good, what job didn't go good. And diving into those, you know, this was a good job. This is what we did that was well. This is what we did that we could do better. Mm -hmm. and, and trying to identify those things on a weekly basis so that we're all growing as an organization um, across the board is, is imperative to us. I love that because I think so often we create environments where people don't like to share their failures because that's what they are is failures mm -hmm. instead of learning opportunities and places where you know the things you're doing right well let's repeat that and the things that you didn't do maybe right let's learn from it and do differently and man if we can all get our organizations on those same pages we would be amazing but too often we create an environment where failure isn't an option and then people you know when we expect perfection that it, it can't happen 
And that, that's that's a good point because uh, one of my uh, my sayings back in 2000, late 2000s was perfect's close enough. Um, that worked for me, but it does not work for people. Huh, yeah. And it took me a long time to understand that that's too big of a goal for most people. I love that. And when I come to that realization, it was, uh, it's, it's okay to make mistakes, but what did we learn? Yeah, amen. And how are we gonna do better? And, and always getting, getting them to set the bar higher for themselves uh, that that's really where the magic starts happening. Well, it's definitely an occupational hazard of entrepreneurs to be control freaks. Yes. So we're all card carrying, recovering control freaks. <laughs> so that's good. I love it. Um, I, I noticed you mentioned your wife at some point. I, I'm always curious about how, especially when you're building a business, how it affects your family and how you involve them in the business. So have they been a part of your business as you've been growing? How has the business affected your family? Uh, we're still married. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> Barely. Uh, we, we, we've been married for 29 years. Um, yeah. Uh, she's she's an incredible woman. Yeah. Um, she's been through the military experience, which a lot of uh, couples don't make through. Absolutely. Um, we got used to being gone or separated a lot because I was on the road a lot when we started the business. I was on, I was gone a lot in the Navy. You know, one year we were, I was home for two months out of one year. Um, there's, there's been a lot of sacrifices that she made along the way um, to get us to where we are. And at one point we come to the conclusion and had a, a good heart to heart conversation that us working together is different than her working for me <laughs> and, and, and we can work together, but she can't work for me. I got it. I'm with you. <laughs> I can. Amen, brother. I understand and, that. And, uh, it, it's, it's being able to have those open conversations that, that really make a big difference. Cause you know, I'm not going to say it was all sunshine and butterflies cause it, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it's we, tough. we had some pretty heated conversations along the way. Um, but we've managed to walk through. Yeah. And that's, it's pretty important that, uh, as an entrepreneur that you keep balance in your life. Um, and I'm not going to say I was good at that. That's one of the lessons I learned too late. It's that hindsight's 2020 thing. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and trying to, trying to focus on that, uh, balance with your family and, your business and your work and, and your customers and all the people that want your attention, you just, you run out of bandwidth and it's something has to give. And a lot of times entrepreneurs will sacrifice in their family uh, to, because it's, it's important for the livelihood and the, the longevity and, and that end goal. Um, but they fail to see what they're actually sacrificing. Um, entrepreneurs are always so focused on the destination that they miss the journey. Yeah. And I'm wholeheartedly guilty of it. You're, you're always chasing that carrot that you just out of reach mm -hmm. and, and you're forgetting about all the successes and the wins and the, the things that you could take advantage of along the way. And, and, and that's, if I had to give one piece of advice, it would be stop chasing the damn carrot. You'll never catch it.
You know, what I love too about what you said is I feel like um, we're always justified in saying, you know, I mean, I don't know what conversations were happening between you and your wife, but conversations that happen between my husband and I for our business, there's always justification in, in the behaviors because we're, you know, this is our livelihood and we have to get this money in this business. And, and so it kind of puts you at a disadvantage to argue that point because there's always a justification. Yes, there is. There's always justification. But honestly, is is the destination worth yeah, the worth sacrifice? Mm -hmm. And uh, you can still uh, have a really strong functioning company with good people and and surround yourself with good people, right people, right seats. It's so important. You can have that and enjoy the journey getting to the destination. Um, and have the dream of the destination to get there. But don't sacrifice your family, your friends, and the things that are important along the way. Yeah. And, and a lot of us are wholeheartedly guilty. Well, and I think what has happened in our family is our children have seen how hard their dad has worked, their grandfather's worked, and they don't want that. They're like, I mean, they're hard workers, but that doesn't look appealing to go into the family business when it looks like you're going to have to kill yourself. So is the and same thing kind of happen to that, you? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, none of my kids want any part of the business. <laughs> Dang it. And, and that's, that's fine. They're, they're pursuing their own dreams. And, yeah. I, and I wholeheartedly encourage them to do so. Yeah. Um, it's, it's imperative that they, they seek their own destination. Yeah. True. We don't want to force them into something that yep. they don't want. Exactly. But I do think that part of that for us, at least we'll own, is that we didn't create the vision that showed them that that could actually be a good life. Um, you Absolutely. Know, Absolutely. Now, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's embarrassing to say, you know, it's we, we create that environment and 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 give them the hesitation and pause. And that's it is what it is. Yeah. But, uh, I, they're all good kids. Yeah. And yeah. Like you said, they're pursuing their own dreams. Adults now. <laughs> They'll always be our kids. I don't care how old they are. They're always going to be our kids. No, I, I, I think that something that's really important there is to understand. And, and I, I feel like the generation that's coming has a better handle on the fact that we defined value as hard work and hard work was defined as kind of killing yourself, right? I mean, you like yeah. I think you were raised on a farm. You use that as a analogy. Is that true? I grew up in the farming community. Yeah. So I, I was working for farmers. So you saw that. Yeah. I mean that that was the definition mm -hmm. of hard work. And hard work doesn't have to be that. You know, be, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of what the new generation is is bringing to the table is um, production. You, know, you give me what you want and I'll provide it to you in my own way. And it's it's, it's a little different way of looking at it, but uh, it's something that entrepreneurs need to be um, understanding. You know, uh, every generation is going to think, act, and pursue things differently and trying to uh, identify and understand what those things are. And, you know, we use KPIs here, key performance indicators, and uh, if you focus on the eight to five and the KPI, you're gonna lose. If you focus on the KPI, you know, if if your KPI, if one of your KPIs is being in the office eight to five, great. Yeah, right. That's that's that's, that's, that's a win. You meet that measure, yeah. Check. 
But if one of your KPIs is a certain amount of production every day and you can meet that production, then either the KPI is not the right number or you're efficient and you're doing or your it job is. well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, again, I, I, I love that because I think that um, it goes back to we as owners are control freaks and we think it has to be done a certain way. And if we can let go of that and just say, this is what the outcome has to be. And I'm going to turn my head. You guys figure out how to get it there. Um, it's, it's the 80% rule. So yeah. when you're, when you're putting, putting out that plan, if, if, it's, if it's my plan and you only buy into it 80%, I'm only going to get 80% of my plan. But if your plan's 80% of my plan, I'm going to get 100% of that. Yeah, right, right. And that, that's getting that, ownership. getting that mindset mm-hmm. and that ownership is really, really difficult for us as entrepreneurs because we just want to tell people how it needs to be done and, yeah, right. and do it this way. And they should just love it as much as we do. And surprising, <laughs> they don't. Isn't that crazy? Um, all right. So tell me, and maybe you've already done that in what we just talked about. But what advice would you have for anyone wanting to start a business? Did you get any advice when you started your business that you still live by? Don't do it. <laughs> no, uh, that's no, that, not the that's, one. That's, that was the advice I got. You go, Don't okay. do it. Well, clearly you didn't <laughs> follow that advice. I've never been really good at listening. <laughs> uh, I've gotten a lot better at listening. Um, if I had to give one advice, and I... I would really tell people to focus on right people, mm-hmm. um, right people, right seats. That is so important. It, it makes a world of difference. Um, just, I can't tell you how important that is. And, spend and the it, time to find the right people. Spend the, spend the time to find the right people. Have the core values and, and get the buy-in mm-hmm. right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, don't hire them if you've got a reservation or you don't think they're quite there, but you think you can get them there. Find the right people. They're out there. Yeah. And I love that too, because I think um, there's a hole. We need to fill it. We're just going to get a body. And then we end up spending way more time and money wasting our time there. Every time you have turnover, it's just money out the door. Yeah. And if, if you can, uh, we had a, a period of time that uh, we were at 110% turnover. Oh, ouch. And the amount of money that was spent on that turnover would just make you sick to your stomach. It probably did make you sick to your stomach. This year, we've had 8% turnover. Through, Eight? Through COVID. Eight or 80? Eight. Eight, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a a huge indicator of the right people in the organization, yeah. the right people in leadership positions, uh, the right managers. And, and that's when, once you uh, get those people in, they'll attract the right people in their teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Very good. Okay, so I'm always curious, especially for individuals who've had businesses for an extended period of time, how do you keep yourself inspired in the business after 17 plus years? Um, <laughs> you have your ups and downs on the inspiration. Um, I would say what inspires me right now is what I'm seeing happening in the organization that the other people are doing and the other teams are doing. Uh, the questions that are being asked now 
are better questions than were being asked a year ago. I mean, they're a hundred times better than the questions that were asked a year before that. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to me to watch the growth of the organization and the people in it and the, um, how tight the teams are becoming. And that's, that's incredible to me. I have been watching a lot of people grow over the last uh, year and a half that it's just been incredible. It's, a, it's, it's, it's inspirational to watch. Yeah. And does that also mean they need less of you? Like there's yes. really less importance of you? Yeah, I'm, I'm becoming less and less important yep. all the time. Yep. Uh, yeah. That, and and that's, that's part of the goal for entrepreneurs is to work, work yourself, yourself out, out of a job. job. Yeah. And at the same time, we don't want to let go. So how do you do both? Mm-hmm. You can't. You have to pick one. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, that's a serious struggle for us. And I'm not going to say I'm, I'm good at it yet. Uh, you get to that point in the day where you've got everything done that was on your list. And you go get in the way of somebody else. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they're like, go home. <laughs> we don't need you here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, I applaud you because I think that that's again, goes back to the control freak thing. I keep beating a horse, you know, the dead horse, but it's really tough to be able to see that. And yet that's exactly what we need to do. I think as leaders, our only job is to grow our teams. And we struggle with that. We think we're so important. Mm -hmm. So good job. I want to make everybody else so important. Yeah, me too. And then you can go fish or whatever. Do you have hobbies? I do. Okay. Then see, you get to go do those. So what's the future for Alliance Security, for Travis? For the Travis at Alliance Security? Um, I'm getting younger every day. Of course, <laughs> just like us all. Uh, I, would, I would like to uh, start working into a retirement trans, transition here in the, in the next few years and start pursuing some of my other interests. Uh, and let the company run the way it needs to run. Yeah. Without Travis, get out of their way. Without Travis in the yeah. way. Yeah. Where where does where do you see the company going? Um, we're in nine states right now. Um, I would like to see it continue to grow and strengthen itself in in those nine states. The, those are the key ones as far as we're concerned, and really become a a, a strong strong company over the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going anywhere, it doesn't sound like. No. Great. Travis, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before I let you go? Uh, find a system. Uh, find a system that works for you and your organization and and stick to it. Uh, I, I don't know if I should promote the system that we operate off of, but uh, it's... It's been a game changer. It sounds like it's EOS. Is it, it EOS? It, it yeah. is EOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Um, it, when we first uh, signed up for EOS, uh, it was myself and my former business partner. I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's tough. And <laughs> I didn't like it because we had all the wrong people in all the wrong seats. And when I say all, I mean all. Including yourself. Including myself. Yeah. And it's looking at the notes that I made 
then compared to the notes I make now, it's night and day. Um, but you got to get 100% buy-in. Uh-huh. And you got to have the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't make EOS work with the wrong people. You can't. Yeah. Well, what I also love about this is that it's a good, whether it's EOS or whatever other system, it's seems like such a huge investment and it pays off in dividends like you can't even imagine. And and we haven't realized those dividends yet, but I can see them. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but I see what's happening to the organization. I, I see the, the traction starting and it's, it's been empowering to me to know that this is working. Um, the other part of that is looking for other things to grow yourself because otherwise you're gonna out, the company will outpace you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where other programs that, that you need to be looking at as an entrepreneur to invest in yourself to move forward are so important. And I understand you're quite the book reader, so you're probably reading a lot. Are you? Do you also listen to podcasts or other I things? I do. Yeah. I listen to a ton of podcasts yeah. from a lot of different people, and I'll have to admit that I haven't caught yours until But you're it adding it up, to your list. But it's on my <laughs> listening list now. Thank um, you. I wasn't aware of it, or I would have probably been listening to it a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, here you go. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always looking for that that little granule that will improve myself uh, because the company can't get there until you get there. Yeah. And it, the company is only going to be as good as the leader. So the leader has to learn more all the time. It has to be continually growing. Um, and that's part of our core values is a continuous learner. Yeah. You know, you want to keep learning, keep reading books and, and I'll, I'll listen or read a book a couple of times because you miss so many little things along the way because as an entrepreneur, your mind is always squirreling and and you get lost and, and have to come back. <laughs> yeah, well, and there's always concepts that yeah may not have been important to you then and now they are like revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Revolutionary? That's a new word. I just it, made that up. I'm, I'm all on board with it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Travis. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. You definitely have great advice for anyone considering self-employment and you're a great example of success and innovation and growing and adapting. So thank you so much for your story. Keep guarding our money while there's still money to guard. Okay? (laughs) Will do. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. As a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. If you haven't heard, we were voted number one in East Idaho by Best of Idaho. It's such an honor and we thank all of our customers for trusting us to take care of them. So if you're looking for automotive repair and maintenance provided with honesty and integrity, come and see us and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. It's now time for a Business Leadership Moment on East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to the Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon. RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference held every November. And they also have a sister event called RiseX, which is held monthly. And it's been more virtual than live lately. And it's been great to be able to have people from all over be able to participate. So please check it out at risecon.io or risex.io. And don't forget that Rise is spelled with a Z. Uh, All right. Recently, I posted a question in an entrepreneurial group, 
And I was seeking the perspective of the women in the group. So I started the post with the comment, these questions are for all you powerful women. And then I put in parentheses, sorry, dudes with a little smiley face emoji. You know, I think I'm funny. And so that was meant to come across that way. Um, Thus the emoji, right? That's why I put that there. Um, And I asked them what fears and or barriers they felt they had to overcome when they were thinking about entering the business and entrepreneurial space. My intent was to better understand this so that I could perhaps help by addressing some of these within my own consulting practice, right? I wanted to be able to acknowledge them and see how I could help especially women, overcome these barriers. I received some great feedback from women in the group, and it ranged from feeling that feeling of perfectionism to a fear of failure. And then I got that one post that left me wondering what the heck happened. It seems like we always get that one post, right? Um, the individual that was commenting indicated that it was shameful that I had excluded powerful men when asking these questions. And she pointed out that if a man had done this, that the quote unquote wrath of girl power would have descended upon him. Um, She went on to say that Gender should have no place in being a barrier and that leaders are leaders despite any differences. So I believe that her ultimate point was that if, as women, we believe that being a woman in business is a barrier, that that is a self-limiting belief. And yes, I couldn't agree more gender, as well as fear, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and various other beliefs are self-limiting beliefs. So we were essentially saying the same thing. What struck me is why did she feel she had to be so defensive and resort to the tactic of shaming to relay her point? Um, So, of course, I thought about this because we always think about these comments that we get that kind of, you know, take us by surprise. And as I was thinking about it, it brought a few things to my mind. First, gender. As a woman in business myself, I have absolutely felt marginalized by men in positions of authority. Um, It's a real thing, and unfortunately, something that women still face every day, despite the progress that has been made, it still exists. Alongside that, the other issue that I see is women, in our pursuit of equality, um, we give up our God-given qualities of being a woman, including femininity. Women have routinely been told that if we want to get ahead— We just need to start acting more like men. And I think that we're doing ourselves a real disadvantage um, because we have such distinct qualities that are, that help um, complete 
the talent that can come towards solving problems. My own strongly held belief is that men and women are equal, but different. We bring different strengths to the table and to the boardroom. And those strengths should be capitalized on, uh, used to accomplish common goals. As there are more women in positions of power and when both men and women feel comfortable around each other in the office, as they do at home, I believe we'll, we'll be able to celebrate our differences and we'll be able to mutually benefit from those differences. And yes, we need to overcome our limiting beliefs and own the fact that we deserve those roles just as much as men do. I totally agree that gender cannot be an excuse despite the challenges that gender can bring to the table. My second thought is um, about shame and bullying. So the individual who replied immediately went to shame and bullying to get her point across. I'll be honest, her point of limiting beliefs was lost on me when I first read her reply. Um, As you can imagine, I was feeling defensive. I felt misunderstood because that wasn't the intent of that post at all um, to in any way marginalize men. I was just looking for the perspective of women. And I felt lectured to about what she perceived was my closed-mindedness, right? So her message was lost on me. And it made me think about um, one of my favorite authors. I've talked about her before, uh, Brene Brown. And she said this about shame. Shame is not a social justice tool. It is a tool of oppression. Shame begets shame. Shame corrodes the belief that we can do better and be better. Um, As you can see by Brene's statement, shame doesn't inspire us to improve. Calling people out and putting their ideas down doesn't open minds. And, you know, I really appreciate or recognize how Brene says that shame is a tool of oppression. Bullying is also a behavior designed to oppress another person. Uh, In our school systems, bullying is often used to climb the social ladder. Uh, You know, there are social rewards associated with bullying. Um, An individual who bullies desires to elevate their status at someone else's expense, right? And if I put someone else down or I tease someone else, um, that can have social rewards with the crowd that I want to be associated with. And you know, it's unfortunate, but nevertheless, it's what happens, right? Um, Bullies are also looking for people that are willing to submit to their power play. Um, If you feel intimidated or whatever by bullies, they kind of like that. If you make it look like the bully's actions and words don't affect you, it ruins it for them. Um, And I kind of, in my own personal life, I kind of really like bullies because now I understand this so much about them. Um, And it has been interesting to see how standing up to a bully 
um, as an adult, right? It's not like we're fighting on the playground, but, you know, just pushing back and not allowing them to get away with that behavior, how it really diminishes um, those actions. So neither shame, what I know about it is that neither shame or bullying are really about you. This wasn't about me. It's about them. Uh, Over the years, I've learned to not take it personally and to give the individual grace because there's a place that they are coming from. And especially in this situation, there was an underlying message. Um, And so look for the underlying message and acknowledge where you can learn. Own what you can about what's happening in this particular situation, the message, and move on. And clearly the point of the commenter in this situation was meaning to make the, I'm sorry, the point that the commenter was meaning to make was important and valid. She had deep passion around overcoming self-limiting beliefs. And I'm sure this was rooted in her own life experiences that had taught her this. She desired to share that and she wanted to do it passionately and leave that message for others to help them see how powerful it is to overcome self-limiting beliefs for themselves. And I, I, eventually I could see that. Unfortunately, her chosen method of delivery didn't accomplish that because the message, message was lost in this scolding lecture. So it's a lesson for me and I hope for you too. And maybe we can apply it to when we receive negative reviews or like in this case, a comment um, about our business. We have the opportunity to look for what we can learn and let the rest go. Um, To not submit to the power play by defensively responding. um, Admit what the individual who's saying something to you, what they're right about. And you might have to look really closely to see if there's anything. In in this case, I actually responded with point taken. I heard you. And that's what I think is so important. People desire to be heard. Uh, And, you know, help them know that they were heard. Take what you can from it and then let it go. Bottom line, let's be more kind and empathetic in our communication. We've all heard the saying, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And I think if we could live by this a little bit more every day, our world could be, could definitely change and, and be better for all of us. So great lesson for me. I so appreciated the comment. It gave me time to pause and reflect and to understand the lessons that I could learn from it. Um, I hope the same for you guys. And I wish you the very best this week. Um, And I, hope to see you or maybe just have you hear me back here next week for our next guest. Have a great week. See you then. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneurs Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair for all your car care needs in Eastern Idaho. Let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.